This week on Physically Spiritual, I have the blessing of talking to Lindsay Fullerman from Fit From Faith. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I'm captivated by discovering the truth about my body and how it reveals God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Well, today I'm excited to share with you Lindsay Fullerman. Lindsay has an extensive background in health, wellness, and theology. She received her master's degree in theology and also a certificate in Theology of the Body from the Theology of the Body Institute. She has an undergraduate degree in kinesthesiology. My pronunciation is going to be bad today. And certifications in strength and conditioning, sports nutrition, and coaching. She's worked for over a decade uh, in, as a fitness athletic and strength coach before starting Fit from Faith. And she's also a health and wellness advisor to Borromeo, uh, at Borromeo and St. Mary Seminaries in the Diocese of Cleveland. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Hi, Andrew. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I always start off just asking people uh, kind of where in your story your ministry came from. You know, I love, I love what you do. It's really uh, health and wellness coaching centered on Christ and integrating the beauty of our faith with a lot of what uh, science and, and has come to offer us about the health of the body. So I'm just curious of kind of how this grew out of your life. The Lord, I think, was always preparing uh, this mission for me since the beginning of time. The more that I sort of reflect and look back on my life, um, I really struggled a lot uh, as a middle schooler with just body image issues and, and self-esteem and, and very low self-confidence um, and just very insecure during those uh, those time during that time of my youth. And that really trickled into high school um, where, you know, I was an athlete and I also started to develop this eating disorder, um, being anorexic, um, which really stemmed from that insecurity, you know, uh, with my body and with yeah. that low self-esteem. And so, um, I really kept it this, you know, private for a really long time. Um, I thought at that age that I was the only person going through that. Um, and that really trickled into college as well. And then, you know, I was so desperate for help and, and I was at rock bottom, uh, when I was in my early twenties, I was probably about 23 and, um, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go to mass. And, it, you know, when you're so desperate for, for answers, you know, you kind of, feel like, well, God must have something, you know, to offer. Um, so I, I went and I, I talked to a priest after mass and I was just sharing with him my struggles with body image and, and this eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he encouraged me to, to meet with him and to, uh, from that meeting, he really encouraged me to start to pray. Mm -hmm. And it was really there that fit from faith, like little did I know, uh, was really starting to be formed because I realized I needed to get healthy. I needed to heal and that God had to be a part of it. Um, but I had to do it in, in a way, you know, that was centered on, on Christ. And that's really what began fit from faith because I started writing and journaling, um, way back then. And that's sort of how the, the program developed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious going back, um, into that time of junior high, because I remember for me, I, I had significant weight gain in early junior mm. high, which led to some, not a lot, but a little bit of bullying and a lot of insecurity around that and a shift in my own body image. And, and I, I can really relate to going into sports. I was in wrestling, which was a lot about 
the scale and losing weight and gaining weight and, you know, kind of getting big and strong for football and then getting, getting small for wrestling. So I can, um, I can relate to a lot of what you shared there. Um, I guess I'm curious, like what, um, where did you, where do you think some of that, that experience came from of like, of the body image and, and the way that you were sort of trained to look at yourself and think about like your value and, and all of that? Mm. Yeah, we're going to go deep here, I guess, you know, uh, today, but it really does stem from the formation uh, mm. that you receive as kids, you know, from your parents. Um, I grew up in a home where, and I love both of my parents. They're wonderful. They've been married for 45 yeah. years, but parents cannot love perfectly. You know, right. we all have our flaws. And, you know, my my mom, I grew up watching her always diet. There was always mm. the next diet, you know, that she was yeah. trying. Um, so I didn't really receive a lot of affirmation from her um, about my beauty or about my worth or about my dignity. Mm. And so for me, then beauty started to become what the culture, you know, is saying, you know, like Britney yeah. Spears and just some of those um, pop icons that I really, you know, idolized at that age, like that became my definition of what beauty is. Um, so it was always looking and sort of like a grasping at it, right? Like mm -hmm. kind of looking at it um, to the outside world to tell me how to be and how to see myself. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that, and, and people always love us in the midst of a, a context of a culture, you know, so it's like recognizing where, I don't think recognizing where something came from is blaming the roots. It's, it's just a, a recognition. And, and I, and I think it's so beautiful that then God presents himself to us in revelation as a father, right. Mm -hmm. As a parent, uh, he comes to us with this filial love, this, um, cause then you know, we're not just uh, like learning new ideas about God and, and, and sort of precepts of the law. We're also having an experience that changes our heart. Um, so now that you've, you had that encounter with the priests and that you're starting to pray, I'm curious, like, how did the Lord begin to work in you? Like this, this work of healing of not just learning new information, because you probably even knew what to do before this experience, but, but really a, a transformation of heart. Mm, yeah. And I think, and I even share this with the clients that I work with today, I can give anyone a diet and I, I fully believe everyone can follow it, you know, tooth and nail and succeed, but that's not what's going to bring, bring real lasting change. It really is this conversion of mm. heart yeah. uh, that I want people to help experience, you know, through Fit From Faith so that they do make lasting change. Um but for me, you know, it definitely was not an overnight process. And I think I was very naive yeah. at first because I thought it was going to be an overnight process where I would just wake up and I'd be healed and I'd be able to look in the mirror and feel happy and confident in who God made me to be. Um, but I think it really started with getting my, just being in the word daily, mm. you know, reading scripture daily and allowing and, and having less of the world, not that the world is bad. But when you're inundated with social media all the time and you're, you know, watching TV, that starts to become your truth, you know, your lens. Um, even if we don't realize it, that starts to really shape sort of our, our perceptions. And so I really had to spend more time creating and fostering this relationship with God through the word to really start to hear things from him, you know, in my prayer. 
of father, how is it that you see me and like really allowing those truths to sink in. Um, but it took time, you know, it took a lot of time to find that balance, but I can say I made, um, contemplative prayer, a a very active part of my life every day. Mm. And I think that's where real, uh, how things became integrated for me and really moved from the head, you know, to the heart. Yeah. I love that prayer. Father, how do you see me? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just that experience. And I still, yeah. I still keep that actually on my phone today. It goes off every three hours, huh. believe it or not. 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., 6 p.m., 9 p.m. It says, Father, help me to see myself the way that you see me. Yeah. It's very beautiful. And then, God starts to go to work and, and really help us to reshape, you know, the way that we see ourselves. Yeah. Well, it's, it's theologically beautiful, but it's, it's also it like naturally makes so much sense. Um, Cause like a, a young baby, the, the development of, of a baby's ability to emotionally regulate, you know, once they get through kind of the first infant phase where they're not really aware of the other person, one of the primary things that, that develops um, the baby's kind of, ability to relationally connect and emotionally regulate is the experience of the delight of their parents' eyes. Mm. So it's, so it's that reflection of, okay, when they see me, they light up. Like I'm the apple of their eye. I'm the delight of their eye. I, I, and, and that experience of being somebody else's delight is what develops the brain physiologically in order to, to be human. Um, you know, so I, I think of like this, so many scripture verses connected to this where it's like, uh, you know, like the, the chosen people, when they blessed each other, they'd say, may the light of God's face shine upon you. You know, in the, in the liturgy of the hours where it says, you know, Lord, let me be the apple of your eye. You know, like it's all over the scripture, like this just way that our faith resonates with God's design in nature uh, and mm. in God's revelation. So, so I think that, that just that prayer exercise of God, how do you see me? Like, like that's enough, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it can also reveal, you know, and it is, you know, something that I do give out to clients mm. just to, to practice yeah. and meditate and sit with, but that can also sometimes reveal parts of our heart that need healing because sometimes it's so hard to just allow like that gaze of the father to receive that yeah. because of our, our wounds, you know? Um, uh, I think, I think that it's very interesting um, exercise to do because it, it can help sort of show what other areas of my heart need healing. I mean, just having the gaze of the father, it's like, uh, it's so glorious that it almost can be uncomfortable Mm. to allow perfect love to just stare back at us and to receive it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think of it, I love maps. Like when I was a little kid, I would just stare at maps (laughs) for hours. So I think of it almost like you're, like you're discovering the topology of your heart you know, like this, mm. this conversion journey, it's almost like, uh, think of like 17th century explorers, you know, like traveling the world and like starting to make maps. Um, and as we descend into ourselves by encountering God, I think we start to make maps and like experiencing God's eye, but then noticing how we react to it. Like, do we, do we want to push God away? Do we uh, feel uncomfortable in his gaze? Like, and then it's starting to become aware of that topology of our heart. Um, I think is so important because we, we bring so much stuff into this conversion and God doesn't zap it. You know, he chooses to leave it for us to experience his love through him, but also through one another in the church. Um, 
So I'm curious, you have this initial moment and then you have this, um, this is a growing uh, prayer life where you're experiencing the Lord in the scripture, experiencing the Lord in your heart, speaking to you. Like, how did this start to change then your, your outside life of like how you're interacting with other people, what you were doing professionally, what you were pursuing? Yeah, and again, it still took, you know, the exterior part of my life. Mm. This probably was a change that happened over the course of eight years, yeah. seven to eight years, you know, so it really was a, and continues to be a journey. Um, but I think as I was continuing to discover more of my identity and, and who, who I was, I started to notice that even though I had fear, mm. right, with wanting to create this mission, there was just a real radical trust in God, right? Really getting to know, like in his goodness, being in the word, it was like, all right, I'm feeling this call to create this mission. So I'm going to step out in faith, even though it doesn't make sense. I have no idea what it's going to be, you know, with fit from faith, but uh, all right, like, I'm just going to step out in faith and, and, and start, you know, writing. And then God really acted and was opening doors as I was giving my yes mm. to him um, and it started with um, our old, our former human formation director um, at the seminary who invited me to come on board uh, with formation staff because, you know, he said our, our priests are really uh, becoming unhealthy and, and I need someone to help them. Can you help them? I know you have this passion of theology and God and also fitness. And it was like, okay, sure. So as I was giving my yes, God then was acting in, in providing effortless opportunities, you know, for, um, for my mission. Mm. And so exteriorly, it was as if God was sort of showing up for me in these ways that I never knew that he, you know, would like, and with that was giving me confidence, like, even though I was scared and very fearful of what do I have to teach seminarians? Um, right. It was taking this step, um, of just saying yes and seeing how it goes. And if I fail, then I fail. Um, and so there was still an insecure girl inside of me, you know, it wasn't like I felt this great sense of confidence. It was, I was, I was scared, but it was, okay, I really believe this is what God is doing. So I'm going to take this step. So I started to just see doors open from a mission standpoint, but yet I, that conversion of heart, there were still insecure places in my heart because I was still healing, you know, so in, in some of these deeper ways. So it was pretty interesting to kind of, I guess, reflect on that and just see how, um, despite the fear I was feeling interiorly, you can't deny when God calls you to go somewhere, yeah. you know? Yeah. As, as the Lord calls us deeper and calls us to a mission, he continues to minister to us through it. You know, so I'm just going back to that topology of the heart image. And now like there's another layer of, well, you're getting up in front of these guys and as Catholics, you know, you have this view of what priests are, what seminarians are, you know, so it's like, what do I have to offer them? Um, in, in my, in the coaching that I do, the very first person that asked me to help them was a priest. And I had that moment of like, Lord, like what, like what, what, like, do you really want me to try this? Like, I felt like I was jumping into the deep end, you know? <laughs> um, but it's amazing, you know, he, in the first year we worked together, he lost over 80 pounds. Um, wow. so just to see like wow. his life come alive, it's just beautiful. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious now you're, you're working with, uh, the seminarians there. Like, what are the, what are the different things you're like bringing into their lives? Cause I, I was in seminary for four years. 
Um, so I have like the firsthand experience of human formation was often just like a lecture that happened to be about a human formation topic, <laughs> you know, so it was more like human information. And then we were just sort of like <laughs> expected to implement these principles uh, randomly. Um, so I'm just curious, like, how does this play out in the seminary? Mm, yeah. And I think, well, one of the first things, you know, human formation is relationship. It's relational ministry. Um, and so I love people. <laughs> um, people are, I love humanity. It's hum, humans are absolutely beautiful. I just see so much of God. So going into the seminary, like while I had a wealth of information from a science perspective with health and nutrition, I was much more concerned about them as a human person, you know, um, with really who, like, who are they? What are they passionate about? Um, and as I was getting to know them, it was kind of clear to me that, wow, so many, everyone's created so differently that not one health and wellness, you know, program is going to work the same way for, you know, this Joe as, as it does Andrew. Um, but I say that because it was really this discovering, helping them to discover more of who they are, you know, through, uh, meetings with me. So the relational aspect of human formation, I think was the first, um, real like foundation of, of what I was able to bring to the seminary. Um, you know, practically speaking, there's this, you know, the program that developed, um, at St. Mary's and Borromeo, you know, fit from faith, um, with really teaching guys virtue. So just on a practical level, how do we eat for life? How do we make real life changes under real life circumstances? Because your life as a seminarian is busy. Your life will be even busier as a priest. So how can we practically uh, learn virtue, um, you know, at breakfast, at lunch, at dinner, mm -hmm. at the, at pizza night or whatever, you know, they may have. So showing guys that I think it was through my feminine heart, through my yeah. femininity, um, it sort of softened soften that that masculine approach to um dieting right mm -hmm. which guys can get really excited to just produce results as fast as possible and be hardcore in the gym and those those are good things but i think through my feminine heart just being able to soften them soften them and show hey there's a, a way that could actually be easier um that could be actually much more sustainable long and long lasting um is truly what I think was able to, to help so many of them transform, you know, really creating these real life changes under real life circumstances. So, um, I, practically speaking, just really teaching those skills of virtue. Mm -hmm. We learn virtue in the seminary through, you know, moral theology, you know, there's a real component, you know, to many components to virtue, yeah. virtue theory, but now how do we actually live this out when we're faced with, temptation and, you know, not wanting to, um, actually live out a virtuous life with food. So really helping them to, in a concrete way, apply what they were learning, you know, with virtue, apply that to food and, and exercise. So those are some ways, you know, the, the relationship, relational aspect, um, of, of fit from faith and also just the practical teachings for the context of their lives and, and, and their vocation. Yeah. That's like, that's real spiritual motherhood. Mm. You know, like a lot of times, like the struggles come from, you know, this sort of miswiring from childhood and, and, and God invites us into a new childhood and when we enter into the faith. So, um, I was thinking of like, 
you know, like the, the call to celibacy doesn't extinguish the longing in the masculine heart for the feminine. Mm. Um, and, and in the midst of a drought of that, two things can happen, right? The man can either shut it down, right? And just complete, just com- could be completely cold to the feminine, disconnected, repress those needs, or it can be acted out in disordered ways. Um, so I'm just thinking of just like you bringing your, your, the gift of your femininity and your spiritual motherhood into that space. Um, and how like, that's going to do a lot, just that relational mm. piece. Like, even if you didn't tell him anything, it'd probably still help him, <laughs> uh, you know, but now you're also bringing in like the solid truth from science mm. and from revelation. Um, and I'm just curious, like what, like, what are some of the like effects you've seen in their life? Mm. Yeah. I, the, one of the first, um, men that I helped, he was actually, this was seven years ago. Mm. I can't believe it's been seven years. Um, but he was actually ordained a priest, uh, in May. Um, and I actually just got together with him and a group of people last night. So he ended up losing 52 pounds, you know, yeah. through the program. So we see the physical change that happened. Um, that Father Joe experienced through uh, Fit from Faith. Um, and so th- there's that physical change, but also um, spiritually speaking, you know, how it's losing that weight has just helped increase like his intimacy with God and his mm. prayer life. Yeah. And then we also see the emotional health component where he, you know, he said on his ordination day, like, oh, man, it just feels good to be able to like genuflect <laughs> and the co- level of confidence authentic confidence that he has in himself now. And so these changes are not just, you know, specific to him, like in a, in a particular way they are, but those are the kind of changes that I've seen um, with walking with, with uh, these seminarians is like, there's now going to be able to live out their priesthood um, in ways that it's true, authentic masculinity, um, you know, to really like lead their people to take care of a parish because they actually feel good about who they are. Yeah. Um, and they, they're in touch now with God in, in a new way, you know, by, by letting go of the mask that food, you know, hmm. can be for so many of us, so many of them, um, and really getting in touch with some of those deeper places, um, of their heart. So they've, you can definitely see that growth, um, physically, emotionally, and spiritually in them. Yeah. That, that, and that was my experience too, of, I, I was almost 400 pounds. And my kind of weight loss health journey is what precipitated this podcast. Um, and just the, just the, how it just changed my prayer, even my ability to wake up in the morning and talk to God. And like you said, genuine, like I wasn't kneeling at mass when I was 400 pounds. So just being able to kneel once again, uh, all those moments were like, uh, yeah, just huge blessings, uh, that I thought I had lost. Um, so I can, I can really get into what, what he was saying. Mm. A, a phrase you said there, the mask of food. Mm. Um, yeah. And I feel like a lot, of, um, a lot of the health stuff that's out there in our culture, it's almost like, um, well, one, there's a confusion of being skinny and being healthy, which oftentimes there's a correlation. Like there's a tight correlation between like waist mm. measurement and health outcomes, but, but like they're not necessarily the same thing. <laughs> Um, so sometimes there's like a no holds barred, uh, effort to just to lose weight, right? Like, how can I just make this number smaller? Uh, and when you, you said that 
that phrase, the mask that food can be, um, it just, it just made me think of like all the different ways we use food other than for nutrition. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, like what's your approach with food uh, when you're working in the seminary, when you're doing coaching in other ways? And how do you kind of address these complex dynamics? It is so complex, Andrew. It really, really is. Yeah. Um, I, again, my approach is always one of virtue. And so virtue is finding the middle ground, right? So we're not restricting anything and we're not overindulging. Mm. It's where we can eat that piece of chocolate cake and be satisfied, you know, and be, be done with it. But um, aside from virtue, it's helping the, the guys to really get connected to God communicating to them through their body. So God has really given us everything we need uh, that's going to show us how to eat and when to eat. Um, just by getting in touch with basic hunger cues is very uh, the very foundational place that I start. Like, are we eating just because the food is there or are we eating because we're actually hungry? Yeah. Um, and I, so I really encourage people to really tune into the hunger first and foremost. You know, am I eating because it's noon um, and it's quote unquote lunchtime or am I eating because I'm genuinely hungry and I could, you know, go for something. So yeah. really teaching people that concept of, um, you know, hunger, how's God communicating to me through my body. Um, and then I, I like to approach things as no food is off limits, you know, from ice cream <laughs> to, to fruit. I mean, you name it, everything is on limits, but there's intentionality behind that. Um, because how someone might start, if someone's eating, you know, three hamburgers at lunchtime, well, that's not a virtuous choice. You know, it's overindulgence. So if yeah. I could just get that person to eat one hamburger at lunch, you know, from say it's from McDonald's, we'll throw that in there. Well, that's actually a virtuous decision for that specific person to go from three, you know, hamburgers from McDonald's to one. But then over time, as people are acquiring the skill of virtue, then in time we can start eating more nutritious foods. But I don't like to throw so much at people at once because you're less likely to make a change. Like we all know from a science perspective yeah. that whole foods are the best for your body. That's what's going to help you feel great. It's what's going to you know help you to sleep well, feel energized. But it's not realistic for people to just you know give up everything that they're eating and go 100% whole foods. And so I like to really apply this principle of gradualism where, you know, if someone's eating that, you know, hamburger from McDonald's at, during for lunch, you know, six months down the road, it actually might be something different that they're eating at that, that time because now they're in tune, much more in tune with their body. You know, that hamburger may no longer be um, tasteful for them, you know, because their taste buds may be changing. So there's so much that goes into it. Um, so I'd really like to start with the virtue and this principle of gradualism, slowly changing their habits over time. Um, so I always yeah, start looking at habit formation and how do we help people acquire and, and form virtue in a concrete way. Yeah, I like that. And, and I think that would probably help avoid like the yo-yo diet effect. Um, yes. Because what, like the, the body is so amazing. And I know like when we eat hyper palatable foods, the body actually starts to, um, starts to downregulate the amount of pleasure we get from eating so what that does is it doesn't just make 
us capable of eating more of that hyperpalatable stuff, it actually reduces the reward we get from natural things that don't have that bliss point experience. So if you just all of a sudden try to, you know, all just get rid of all that processed stuff and just start eating, you know, plain meat and vegetables and maybe a little bit of fruit or whatever, what's going to happen is you might be able to sort of willpower that for a week or two, but eventually, like since you don't have that biological reward to the extent to really support the behavior, like you're just going to flip back, uh, you're eventually going to be too weak for whatever reason. Um, so I think there's a lot of wisdom in in that approach. Mm. Amen. Yeah, because it is a, you know, formation, really. Um, yeah. You know, if you think about it, um, if I'm a sister and I enter the convent, right, I'm not just going to make vows, perpetual vows tomorrow or even in a year. There's yeah. real wisdom, I think, with how the church structures formation, you know, year of postulancy, um, you know, two years of, of novitiate, right? There's very real wisdom in in sort of allowing the heart to be formed and not just going all in. Um, and I think it's the same is true for food. And I've witnessed that in my own life of I've probably, you know, gone cold turkey, got rid of all the processed foods, probably, you know, a million times. But the weight would always come back on because at one point I was, you know, up to 200 pounds. Um, today I, I hang out between 130 and 135. It's my maintenance range. But mm life is so much more fun. Uh, now that I, I'm out, I consider myself a level one eater. You know, I like to have my wine once in a while and some chocolate. Um, I don't want to get rid of anything, you know? Um, and, and I'm happy with staying there. But in the past when I would just go cold Turkey and eat, you know, hundred percent whole foods, you know, right off the bat, I was, I would fall off the wagon, you know, I'd feel like a failure and then the weight would come back on, you know? Um, because I was in between this restrict and binge, restrict and binge component. So we still want to eat things that are, are, are flavorful, but we have to find out what's going to work for us, you know, within the context of our vocation and the mission that God has called us to. For some people that might be whole foods 100% of the time, you know, especially if you're someone who has been at the fitness and health game for a while, mm -hmm. um, but that might not be you and that's okay. So you can still make progress. Um, by just eating virtuously and forming really good habits. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I think that, that focus on virtue, keeping, keeping the person in the mean, um, but it's also connecting, um, virtue is also connecting the end to higher values, right? So that, so those virtues are always as believers connected to the theological virtues, you know, so it's, I think that virtue perspective also connects the behavior to serving God and mm. loving others and being just to, to society. And, um, and, and I think that's such an important part of us as humans, you know, we don't just want to be healthy. We want to be holy. Mm. Um, and, and virtue really, I think bridges the gap between the concepts. Yeah. Amen. And, and we want to always stay in line by looking to how Christ, you know, we're called to imitate Christ and, and be in relationship with him. And when we think of Jesus, you know, especially in his public ministry, he was dining with people. You know, he didn't go away to the cave to, to you know, wallow and, and eat a bag of potato chips. He, you know, went to the cave to pray, but he dined with people. They're, and it's beautiful. We didn't, he was always with people 
eating, but his, his eating habits were very well, it was moderation. They were very well tempered. You know, we don't see him gorging on, on, on uh, food and snacks and drink. And so we really want to take that into uh, consideration when we're looking at our own eating habits, like, okay, Jesus, what is it that you're showing me the way you lived out Mm -hmm. your healthy life? How can I, you know, imitate that in my own life? Like teach me that. So I think he is the ultimate model of a virtuous life, um, especially when it comes to food. And I think even back then in the day when when scripture says, you know, that Jesus dined with people, dining, they were reclining, you know, hmm. they weren't um, hunched over. Like, you know, nowadays we see we're such a fast paced society. It's all about the food and we're like gorging it down. We forget that to even be present to people. But I think of that with like Jesus, okay, he was probably reclining on his, I think it was left arm. I think if that's right, I can't remember if that's scripturally correct, but um, there was definitely some aspect of that. So he probably was like, they didn't have like silverware and all that stuff back then. So, you know, he was picking things, um, you know, up with his fingers and and it was just very, yeah, moderate. His yeah. eating habits were moderate. Yeah. And in, in food as a, a social thing, you know, like, um, I want to pull in some ideas of theology of the body. So I'm, I'm curious where that came in your story too, but I'll get to that in a second. Um, but just the idea that we're, we're in the image and likeness of God as a communion of persons. Um, and, and God comes to us, presents us to us, not just as father, but also as food. Mm-hmm. Um, so how like the experience of a meal um, is really, it's, it's really a, a kind of Trinitarian experience because it's not just, receiving what God's given you to be sustained. It's also receiving God through one another uh, and how that uh, I think it attends to the needs of the human soul as much as it does to the human body. And oftentimes with that, that mask of food is we're, we're using the food to try to address a deeper emotional or spiritual need. <laughs> um, but just in the concept of a good meal, um, so much of, of our, human nature's address, but also then the supernatural life is brought into that. Yeah, definitely. Um, like God is, is really meant to be a part of the meal, you know, not yeah. excluded from it, but um, you, just being present to other people, you know, like I said, really delighting in the other um, the, the and being present to them um, mm. is such a gift. And, it, then it's we're sharing in communion, which was what we're made for. We're made to be in communion with each other, um, not self-absorbed and in isolation, you know. Um, and so I, I, I think that's something to to keep in mind as we're, you know, eating and, and and sharing our lives with others and meeting people for dinners and things like that. It's very much a part of um, just the, yeah the the communion that we're called to. Yeah. And, and that's human formation. Like I'm thinking of when I was in the seminary and being in the refectory and, you know, every meal we had or lunch and dinner, we had a salad bar there. So like we always had some kind of healthy option, which was great. But a lot of times you're just, you're scarfing your food down so you can get back to the books. Um, but there's a real human formation of that, delighting in one another at the table. You know, those seminarians are rit- literally retuning each other's nervous systems by that encounter of one another but then also giving one another an experience of God's love in that encounter, mm. you know? So, so like that meal together is a human formation moment uh, for them in that seminar, the same way it's meant to be in our families too. 
mm. um, and with our friends. Yeah. And no cell so, phones, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 I think of like that idea of like the, the parents nervous system, tuning the kid's nervous system through, through the face-to-face -face connection. Mm. Right. Uh, but then like the effect that the cell phone then has on, you know, the baby yeah. when mom's face is blank lit up by a screen and disconnected for extended periods of time, you know? Yeah. And I get no one, I mean, obviously it's a tool that a lot of people need to use, but um, yeah, I just, sometimes I ponder that. Mm. Um, so the theology of the body, it's uh, obviously part of your education, your formation. I'm curious, like, where did this show up in your story? And how did, how did you connect with this teaching of John Paul II? So this was, um, I was sent to the Theology Body Institute uh, from my, hmm. my former uh, spiritual director, Father Boniface Hicks, who's at St. Vincent oh, nice. Seminary, yeah, yeah. Um, just through things that I was sharing with him about my, you know, where I was at in my heart and my life at the time, um, hmm. with that hatred of the body. Um, he, he really encouraged me. He said, you know, I think you need to check out Theology of the Body. And I said, what's that? And he started explaining it to me. And he encouraged me um, to go to a course. And as I was um, at St. Vincent's, um, I also met the program, uh, one, a woman that worked for the Institute. So it was just all these perfect worlds colliding. And it was like, okay, I really feel like I'm supposed to take this class. And so I took Theology of the Body, uh, the first course, Head and Heart Immersion course back in 2015, and just fell in love with it. It just totally rocked my world. And it was like, whoa, I can't believe all of this is here. This, these teachings are, are, you know, that JP2 flushes out for us. And Christopher West, you know, he's just a phenomenal instructor. And as he was, you know, teaching, I can remember just jotting down so many things and in parentheses putting that relates to food, that relates to, you know, food. So much of what he was teaching about, um, you know, just sexuality, human sexuality. And it, there's so much um, that also relates to food. Um, yeah. And so that's what really started jogging my, just my um, create, creative brain and, and really kind of implementing that into my work. So um, it's really through that formation as well that I believe, you know, fit from faith is what it is today. Yeah. How did, how did receiving that teaching and start to integrate it? Like, how did that, like, I imagine, so you've already had this kind of conversion, the Lord leading you in prayer and transformation. Like how did now having the theology of the body continue that like transformation in your own heart? I think it, you know, it really was, I can remember where real integration happened for me. And by that, I mean, mm. just getting to a place of feeling at peace in my heart and feeling very free, you know, yeah. um, and that came through um, an eight day silent retreat that I did where I was just meditating on scripture and some of this TOB um, John Paul II writings. Um, mm -hmm. And so really allowing the Lord to speak to me, you know, kind of what we talked about at the beginning, because yeah. we can go to these courses and take in all the information we want. But then I would say there needs to be this two part where we're actually sitting with these um, truths in prayer because that's mm -hmm. where the real integration, I believe, is going to happen, where the real heart conversion is going to, you know, you're going to really experience that. So for me, it was just being so overwhelmed and captivated by what I was learning that I knew I had to sit with it more. Um, mm -hmm. And everything really kind of 
came to life on this retreat that I made a couple years ago where I was, I left feeling like, wow, I will never be the same through JP2's mm -hmm. writings. You know, I felt real conversion happen, real freedom happen um, on that retreat. And my life, yeah, was forever changed. Yeah. I love that. First, I want, I want to make sure the audience or the people, anyone listening, watching just um, like, this is a long process. Um, and I know sometimes we think like, oh, like I'm going to like, I'm going to get in shape in the next six months or like, you know, I'll just start praying on this and this, this habit, this behavior will change in the next couple months. And well, sometimes God will zap us, but a lot of times it's this gradual process. Yeah. I know um, for me, when I was early in my conversion, I'd see people, you know, talking about their stories or telling their conversion stories. And, and I would get discouraged because, you know, I've been at this for a year and, and I'm still struggling or, you know, whatever it was, but uh, just be patient with yourself um, and that's been my, my experience and, and I love hearing it in your story too, Lindsay. Um, yeah. So as you're, um, now integrating theology of the body into this teaching, I know one of the kind of pillars of, of what you try to teach is meditation. And you just talked about that, you know, of not just learning these teachings, but spending that time of like meditating on them letting them soak in your mind and heart and letting them transform you. Um, like how do you pull meditation into the coaching with, with your clients, with the seminarians, with the other people that you work with? That really comes through the one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. coaching, um, listening to where people are at and then giving them things to sit with, whether it's a scripture passage or part of the content that they receive in fit from faith. Mm -hmm. Um, because it, it really, I usually do give an action item, yeah. you know, um, when in my one-on-one -on -one, uh, sessions. And so that becomes uh, really how it's kind of conveyed to them. Like, okay, sit with this, you know, in your prayer or sit and meditate with it, you know, at some point throughout the day um, and report back, mm -hmm. you know, with how it's sort of transformed your life. So I might give it, you know, in a one-on-one coaching session, and then really it's just up to God um, to kind of reveal whatever he wants that person to receive from it. So it's definitely a part, but again, it just, it's so different for everyone. It, it comes through the one-on-one -on -one sessions. Yeah. So I love that we've been talking about this for over a half hour and we haven't brought up exercise yet. Because I think when a lot of people think of health and wellness, they think, well, let's get to the gym. Let's, you know, start running. Let's start whatever. Yeah. And there's oftentimes, I think, an, an exercise bias in our culture of what health healthiness means. And I think exercise obviously is a huge component to warding off disease and longevity and, you know, but for a lot of people, I think um, a lot bigger gains can be made in the kitchen and also in, you know, this kind of more spiritual component, relational component, stress component. Um, but I'm curious, like, how do you integrate exercise into this. Yeah, it's the principle of gradualism, just like I use with food. Um, because a lot of times I've, in my uh, previous experience, or, and still today, really, people come uh, to the program and they're like, okay, I want to work out six days a week or five days a week. And some, like, when we're starting with not even, you know, having one day under our belt of movement, why would we want to go to five or six days a week? And so I really encourage people um, to enjoy the journey and let's just start with two days. And maybe those two days are just cardio, right? Maybe it's just the elliptical or maybe it's just walking outside. 
And then as that becomes a habit and they feel good, and that might take two weeks, you know, then I add one more day in. And then maybe in a month comes strength training. Um, but I always tell, ask people the question, what is it that you enjoy? And how often can you realistically do it? And those are the two questions that I really um, start with in terms of creating a baseline program for someone. And then for them to go implement that. So if it's two days of walking per week for a half hour, then the goal would be that they implement that for two weeks. And then in those after those two weeks, we bump it up if they've been successful. So if someone's not even able to achieve, you know, those two days a week of walking for 30 minutes, then we need to stay there until it becomes a habit until it becomes something that is really ingrained in their being or else they're not going to be able to stick with, you know, three, four days a week. So it really is this principle of gradualism and allowing people to choose, you know, Um, not everyone enjoys weightlifting. There are benefits and that's a very good thing, right? We want to stay strong. We want our bones and our muscles to be strong, but the realistic, um, my approach is really realistic. If someone does not want to do that, then maybe in time, but I'm not going to, I won't force that, you know, on someone. I really believe there's more than one way to skin a cat. And so I really listen to what someone enjoys. Um, and the important thing is to get them to move and to be active. Yeah. And in time, allow their process to unfold and to see how it grows and what new movements and exercises we incorporate. Yeah, that gradualism worked for me too. I, um, I when I was 400 pounds, I'd, I lost weight for a whole year and didn't do anything, no exercise at all. And then that, that next year, that second year, it was just, I walked. That's all I did for yes. two years. And, and I lost over 100 pounds with nothing else other than that, just diet and walking. Wow. Um, and then the third year, I was finally able to start doing some calisthenics, you know, just push-ups, sit-ups, uh, squats, things of that nature without, without weight or with minimal weight. Um, but still, I did a little bit of also rehab of a previous knee injury of a little bit of weights there, but, but lost another 100 pounds without, without ever running a mile, <laughs> uh, literally. Wow. Um, yeah, so I think that, that gradual approach does, that's been my experience that it works and and I think, um, I think it, it works, it works well. Um, so I'm curious about what, um, kind of like what you do now, like how do you, you maintain your own personal health and what are your current approaches to, to diet and to exercise and, and prayer? Mm, yeah. With prayer every day, I'm committed to a holy hour. Mm, yeah. Um, and then also the office of readings. Um, I am a consecrated single a uh, woman, so I'm in private vows. So that's part of something. The office of readings is something that I do. Yeah. Um, but the daily holy hour is essential. I've learned from my prayer life or else I feel off. Yeah. Um, with exercise, I'm four days a week. Um, that's what keeps me sane. And I usually do a half hour of cardio and then a half hour of weights. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might change when summer rolls around, you know, more active outside. But for right now, it's four days a week in the gym and I really don't have much more time than an hour, yeah. you know, to give. So I have to be quick. I have to be intentional when I'm in there. Um, and then with food, it's, again, it's that virtuous approach. Um, I, I do travel. I get together a lot with, you know, friends for, for meals. And so for me, it just, this virtuous approach of balanced meals. Mm. I love carbohydrates. I love protein. I love fats. I love vegetables. 
So always making sure I have those, you know, in my meals. Mm -hmm. Um, but even like if I want a glass of wine, I'll have it. Or if I want a piece of chocolate, I'll have it. I don't deprive myself, um, of, 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 of foods that like my heart desires and wants, yeah. you know? So it is very much a, a balanced and virtuous approach. Um, and I just, yeah, really do it through proper portions, um, and listening to my body. Mm. Like if I don't want to eat, you know, because I feel like I had too much for breakfast, then I might wait longer to eat my lunch. Yeah. So it really is like the whole experience of eating can actually be a prayer, you know, and, and really listening to what God's, you know, communicating to me through my body. So I, I implement that in my own life. Yeah. I love that. Especially as a consecrated woman, you know, you don't have the the support of a rule of life like a community would have or, or, or that same kind of community structure, even though you have elements. So you really have to um, bring that structure in by your choices. And I think this is where a lot of people struggle is um, like we live with such almost unlimited possibility around us. I like to say we have kind of like a quasi garden experience in our society where, you know, like I could just start eating and I don't have to stop. Like there isn't an external boundary on my ability to consume food or, or media or, or so many other things uh, in the world. Um, and we're not, well-suited to flourish in an environment without external boundaries, without virtue, right? So this mm. is why God, it was merciful for God to send us out of the garden because we weren't going to flourish there anymore. <laughs> right? And in so many ways, we've brought ourselves back to the garden, but without bringing back the virtue uh, that, that God offers us. So, um, yeah, so I just love hearing you bringing these principles into your life too. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, I think that that's why it has power, you know, cause you're living it. Um, yeah. And it, I think we're a very overworked society mm. and especially as uh, church workers, yeah. you know, um, we're trying to save the church, which is a beautiful thing, but you know, God didn't make us to be these overworked beings. And I think yeah. that's the one thing I'd love to see sort of change in the church is uh, we really have to get better at setting boundaries for ourselves, taking care of ourselves. God wants that for us, for us to recognize, okay, I actually need to care of, take care of my own heart. I actually need to develop this prayer life because it's what makes me feel good to take care of ourselves. Um, you know, isn't a, uh, a lot of Catholics that I coach and I work with think that taking care of, of themselves is actually like sinful and selfish um, yeah. but it's not, Jesus wants that for us. And so I think if we had that self-care aspect and down as Catholics and, and better boundaries for ourselves, I think we would see, um, a real flourishing church. Mm. Yeah. yeah that, I need, I need to hear that. Yesterday I had a 13 hour day at work and I mean, as Ooh. a married guy with the kid, it's, it's like, it's sinful for me to, to be away that much, but mm. you know, I work full time for our diocese and just, it's what the Lord brought and I only got half of what done that needed to happen. But, um, you know, as, as a married man, it's better for me to be home, uh, living my vocation than it is for me to be serving the church sometimes. So I definitely need that, mm. that message. Um, so let's talk about practicals. Let's direct people into what you have to offer. You have these different pr online programs available, um, vibrant men, vibrant women, and vibrant priests and deacons. So this is a mix of one-on-one um, -on -one coaching with you, group group coaching, and then also lessons that they go through online where they're learning information. Um, 
So your website's fitfromfaith.com. And on there, you just, the first tab is the, the different services and you can find all those there. Um, what would the experience be like if somebody signed up for, for one of those different offerings? So right now we have, you can sign up at any time. Uh, so oh. open enrollment, someone could sign up today if they wanted. They could start January 1st if they wanted to. And right there, once you sign up, you have access to Fit From Faith. You receive um, a lesson once a week that's going to teach you um, or give you content and mm -hmm. video content. Um, and it's going to teach you um, a nutrition habit to implement for the day mm -hmm. and an emotional or for the week. And also give you an emotional and spiritual wellness um, lesson to practice, to sit with for the week in your prayer um, and from there, you start to uh, really grows this process of accompaniment with me um, through your one-on-one -on -one sessions and also your group coaching sessions that you would have. Um, the group se sessions are weekly and one-on-one -on -one coaching, um, usually bi-weekly or monthly. So that really begins your, your own journey. So it's really a lot of what people put into it yeah. um, with the lesson that they receive. Yeah. And then you also do in-person I've, I've seen on your uh, social media different like parish uh, like conferences you've done, but also you've done work with dioceses and you offer events for priests. Could you talk a little bit about um, if someone wants to bring you to their parish or to their diocese? Sure. Yes. Um, I definitely speak at parishes and schools and uh, for clergy or religious, uh, really going and um, doing, I mean, I've tailored this many different ways. So some people want me to come in for a half hour to speak to their, their people on this message of, you know, health and wellness through a Catholic lens, yeah. a Catholic approach. Um, I've also done all day reflections for people. Um, but there's, a, it's, I, it's called vibrant parish, um, okay. workshops. So, or vibrant school workshops. So those are either half hour presentations or, um, you know, three hours or a day long reflection yeah. uh, to really speak this message of fit from faith and health and wellness for the Catholic church. Yeah. Well, I love that you have the cohorts too, because I could see like, cause I, I worked at a parish for 12 years before now working for the diocese and I could see bringing you in for a day, but then trying to form a group in the parish to go through, you know, the deeper material, the vibrant uh, program beyond that. Um, because that's, I think, what it really needs is more than just a day of learning something new or getting excited, but, but that accompaniment, uh, the coaching, the doing it in community, the gradual process, I think is so essential for all this. Amen. Yes, we can learn the information, but and that's a great, it's a beautiful thing, but there's got to be a real concrete way to apply it and to practice it in daily life. And so um, that's sort of, it's the overview, you know, that, that one day or... or you know, half a day uh, workshop. It's an overview of, of the, the kinds of materials and things that we talk about in the program itself. So it's a deeper dive, like you said, yeah. in the program. Yeah, that's great. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much. Thank you for your spiritual motherhood. Thank you for no. bringing your gifts into the body of Christ. You know, I, one of the things I'm passionate about is the church needs to offer more than referrals. Um, and so I think in, in all these different ways of health and healing, uh, you know, the church has it's always been our tradition that this is part of the church. This isn't just, you know, something that we send people away to get. Um, so I love the ministry. Anyone that's listening that feels stuck, needs some help, support, a boost for health and holiness, head over to fitfromfaith.com. Bring Lindsay in locally or, or join one of these virtual groups. But 
But thank you so much for being on the show, Lindsay. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Andrew. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being a part of Physically Spiritual. Every moment of the show you've watched, know that I'm grateful that you've given your time to this. I'm so passionate about the message that I'm trying to share, and I'm excited about the future of the show. So thank you for every like, every view, every watch, every follow, every comment, every rating you give in the show. And a special thank you to all you that are already members of the Awakened Nation. So thanks again for supporting the show.